Golden West Radio Network presents Crisis. In the 90 or so broadcasts in the Crisis series, we've offered you each week a program of mystery fiction. But this is Christmas, a time for special things. And so tonight we depart just this once from our usual bill of fare. Tonight, we offer you neither a mystery nor fiction. Instead, we'd like to tell you a true story with a happy ending. A Christmas story that really happened and changed some lives in the process of happening. Except for a few of the names, everything in our story is true. When I told the story to a friend of mine the other day, he asked me what the title was, and I said I really hadn't thought of a title. Well, he said, of course, there's only one thing you could call it. The Spirit of Christmas. And so that's what I've decided to call it. I'll be right back. Well, to begin, our story takes place in the town of San Bernardino, California, at a time when the world was briefly at peace. For Don Janis, it was the best time he had ever known. He was 20 years old, just out of the army, in love, and engaged to be married to the girl of his dreams, Jill Carver. He had a promising job in the very field he wanted to be in. Don was a radio announcer. Jill was attending college up in the Los Angeles area, and the only drawback was that they couldn't be together all the time. But Christmas was coming, and Don was counting on that occasion to present Jill with the ring. He'd saved considerable cash for the purpose, which wasn't too easy since his salary at the radio station came to $67 a week before taxes, and he was making payments on a new car to boot. But, well, he knew they'd make it somehow, even if he didn't get the raise he was hoping to get when they were married. One of Don's duties in his job was to do a children's radio show every afternoon at 4.30. It was sometime just after the 1st of December that Arnold Beeman, the program director, had a talk with Don. Oh, Uncle Don, Christmas is a-coming. Right. Are you got any plans to thrill the kiddies with? Well, I don't know. I've been trying to think of something to do. Uh, of course, we have Christmas story albums to play. No, well, I'd assume you'd do that. Uh, what we need is a gimmick. Yeah. You know, a male pool gimmick would uh, pleasure the sponsor considerably. Okay. Uh, like what? Well, last year, a station in L.A. did a, a Letters to Santa thing. Well, how'd that work? Just fine. No, <laughs> I mean, how did it work? You know, what did they do? Well, it's pretty simple. You make a pitch on the air for the kids to send you their letters to Santa. And you promise to read them on the air and send them on to the North Pole. Uh-huh. So? Well, the, the mommies and the daddies learn what their kids are asking for. You get it? Well, yeah, but is that all there is to it? Sure. Now, can you uh, talk like Santa Claus? Ho, ho, ho. Uh, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <clears throat> ho, ho, ho. Uh, yeah, well, cut a disc at 78 and slow it down to 33 and a third. Well, do we have to do the Santa Claus thing? You don't like Santa Claus? Well, well no, I like Santa I mean, Claus. He's a nice old man. If you like nice old men. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe I could just read the letters without doing the Santa Claus bit. Well, Sure. I'd find some special music or something, Jingle Bell, something like that. Okay. Well, when do you want me to begin this? 
Well, we've got to get started in time for buying the presents, so... Uh, oh, a couple of weeks before Christmas. Okay. Okay, Uncle Don. Uh, ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Well, that's really how it all started. Just a Christmas gimmick, as the program director called it. For Don Janis, it was another new experience in this job which he had held for less than a year. Well, kids, you know what? It's only two weeks until Christmas. And have you decided yet what you want Santa to bring you? You have? Then I'll tell you what. Write your letter to Santa and mail it to me, Uncle Don, in care of station KITO San Bernardino. And I'll read your letter on the air and then send it right on to Santa himself up at the North Pole. Now, while you start your letter to Santa, here's one of your favorite stories. It's Frank Tashlin to tell the story. Well, the next day, the letters began to pour in. A stack of wrinkled, smudgy envelopes addressed in penciled block letters awaited Don when he came into work. And that afternoon, he began reading the first of his letters to Santa on his program. All right. It's time to start reading our very first letters to Santa. And here's one from Bobby Osborne, who lives at 321 D Street in San Bernardino. Santa, Bobby wants a Roy Rogers hat. And he says he's a big fan of Superman, so he wants a Superman T-shirt. And he hopes to get a puppy. All right, we'll pass that along to Santa, Bobby. Now, this letter comes from a girl from Mary Timmons who lives on Cedar Avenue down in Colton. Mary wants a horse. Golly, Mary, that's going to be kind of tough for old Santa to do, putting a horse down your chimney, but we'll pass your letter along to him. Now, this letter comes from Hazel Fernandez of Riverside. Uh, I'll have the breaded veal cutlet. And coffee? Milk, please. You want your coffee now, Mike? Yeah, good. You know, it must make you feel kind of good to have your name on a story in the paper, Mike. You know, Mike Pritchard, written by Mike Pritchard. Oh, it does, even if it is only the San Bernardino Sun. Well, you'll move on someday. You know, one of these days you'll be on the Times or the Examiner. Well, how about you? Are you planning on being Uncle Don for much longer? I, I don't know. I sort of inherited the show, you know, from Hugh Sanders when he quit to go to Hollywood, and that's how there happened to be an opening on the staff. I never really wanted to do a kid's show. Well, do you want to be a disc jockey? I don't know. What I'd really like, I think, is to be a staff announcer in Hollywood. You know those guys make a hundred a week? Oh, I can believe it. Of course, it'd cost you more to live in L.A. than it does out here. Well, that's true. But you know, I've got it all figured out, how Jill and I can buy a nice little house and live on what I make here and even save some money. Oh, sure. That is if you don't eat. No, no. We can make it. When are you getting married? Next June. Well, you got six months of freedom left, pal. You better be living it up while you can. <laughs> I'm too busy to live it up. Hey, what are you doing after you eat? Now? Oh, I'm just going back home. I, I mean, back to Mrs. Odell's. I rent a room in this old lady's house. Well, why don't you ride with me for a while? I'll show you a side of San Verdu you didn't know existed. Is that so? You know, this is an old Santa Fe town. You'd be surprised what you see down along by the tracks. Nah, I think I'll just eat and go to my room. Well, if you ever want to low down on the seamy side of town, you know who to ask. My specialty. Okay, I'll remember that. And he did remember it, too, because it wasn't long after that conversation with the reporter Mike Pritchard that Don found he needed some lowdown on the seamy side of town. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. It was Don's practice to drive to Pasadena on Friday nights, take Jill to a show or dance, and pick her up next morning and drive back down to San Bernardino so they could be together while he worked his half-day shift at the radio station. While Don spun records in the control room, Jill busied herself opening the day's mail for the Uncle Don program. How many letters did I get all together, honey? Well, let's see. 
This makes 48 today. Hey, you know, that's not bad. Of course not. Everybody loves Uncle Don. Including? Dear Uncle Don, guess what I want for Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And what do you want for Christmas, little girl? <laughs> Just you, darling. Hey, hold it. And that was Frankie Lane singing The Cry of the Wild Goose. KITO time is now 2.47 p.m., brought to you by H. Floyd Brown Nash in San Bernardino. See the all-new 1950 Nash Air Flights and the revolutionary compact Nash Ramblers now at H. Floyd Brown on E Street in San Bernardino. And next, it's the voice of Vera Lynn and her hit record, Again. Don? Huh? This letter. Well, what does it say? Well, what is it, honey? I can't believe it. What? Listen. Dear Santa, I'm seven and a half years old, and I help my mother with the dishes, make my bed, and watch my three brothers and little sister. My mother says she don't think you'll be able to find us this year, so I want to be sure and tell you where we are. We just moved to 219 21st Street. There's my mommy, my brother Greg, six, Tommy, four, Johnny, two, Marianne, one, and me, Susan, seven and a half. And pretty soon we'll have another one. Let me see that. Pretty soon we'll have another one. We don't want very much, just some little cars and socks and a doll for Marianne. And some food if you can spare it. <laughs> Please try and find us this year. Mommy is so sure you won't be able to. My friend Donna is writing this because I can't write good. <laughs> Love, Susan. I wonder what their last name is. Well, I, I don't know. She doesn't say. Are you going to read this letter on the Uncle Don show? I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. That was on a Saturday. Don separated the letter from the rest and kept it with him through the weekend. He and Jill read it over and over. Through the words carefully written on the line notebook paper, these two fortunate young people began to get a glimpse of life from another angle. It was to be the beginning of a new education for both of them. For what happened next, stay with me. I'll be back. When Monday came, Don was down at the radio station waiting for Arnold Beeman, the program director, to get there. And when he did, Don thrust the letter under his nose. Beeman read it silently and then handed it back. Well, what do you think of that? Oh, that's really something, isn't it? You know, we've got to help that family. Yeah. It doesn't mention whether there's any father in the picture. <laughs> it probably isn't. Well... I'm going to read this on the air this afternoon and, and ask for donations. Uh, I wouldn't do that just yet. Well, what do you mean? Why not? Well, have you gone out and checked the story out? Checked it out? Oh, sure. You can't just start asking for donations until you can verify the whole thing's genuine. Think, boy, think. Genuine? Why, why would she make all this up? Oh, kids have been known to do that. Get mad at their mother and uh, claim she beats him, or get mad at the old man and call him a drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, you must have lived a very sheltered childhood, my boy. Well, then what do you think I ought to do? Well, you've got a couple of hours before you go on shift. Why don't you start by checking on the address in the letter? 
I mean, drive over to this, uh, what is 219 21st Street. See who lives there. 21st Street was an older residential street with frame homes that once were known as California bungalows, most with broad front porches for afternoon shade and shingled sides, gabled roofs, and stubby palm trees in their yards. The house, numbered 219, was easy to find. It huddled behind a newer garage that had been built out to the sidewalk. Don's heart was heavy as he approached the sagging steps to the porch. It was obvious the house was empty. Doorbell probably doesn't work. The place is, is empty. But he didn't want to give up now. So he went around to the neighbors. Hello. Uh, ma'am, I'm looking for the family that lives next door at number 219. Why, that house has been empty since August. It, it has? Yes. Well, was it a family with five children and, and a mother? Why, no. Just a middle-aged couple. All they had was a cat. Yes, yes, moved out in August. I see. Well, thank you very much. Sorry to have bothered you. That afternoon dragged by for dawn... He read the birthdays, played the story records, chatted with the children, and read the Santa Claus letters. All but the one he carried in his coat pocket. About that, he didn't know what to do. Until that evening, at the restaurant in the Antlers Hotel, he ran into Mike Pritchard again. Hey, you look like the last rose of summer, Donald. What's wrong? Well, you know this letters to Santa thing I've got going on my show? Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Look what came in the mail Saturday. Hmm. The whole repeat. What? What? Oh, how many kids is that? Five. And another on the way. Five, yeah. Yeah, wait a minute. What? I don't know. Something vaguely familiar about this setup. What do you mean? Well, I seem to remember something about some gal with a bunch of kids. Uh, uh, what I remember isn't so good. Ah, uh, no, it couldn't be the same one. Well, what? Well, have you read this over the radio? No, and it's a good thing, too, because I think it's a hoax. Well, why do you say that? Well, I went out to the address in the letter. It's an empty house. It's been empty since August. Let's see the address. That's right there. 219 21st Street. It's, it's just two blocks the other side of E Street. <laughs> so you think it's a hoax? Well, what else could it be? Well, the kid's only seven and a half who wrote it. Maybe she got her numbers mixed up. Listen... Let me keep this letter for a day or so, okay? Well, well, I, I guess so, yeah, okay. What are you going to do with it? Well, you want to know the story behind it, don't you? Well, I've got a few contacts. I'll call you. It was only a day later that Mike brought the letter back to Don at the radio station. Well, what'd you find out? Well, first of all, it's no hoax. The family does exist, and what's more, they're living at 219 21st Street. In an empty house? No, in the garage. The garage? Yeah, you notice there's a garage built out in front of the empty house, kind of between that house and a vacant lot. Yeah? Well, there's your family. Well, why in the world are they living in the garage? I mean, why not in the house? Because you live in a house, you got to pay rent. You mean... Yeah. You're just... Yeah, they're squatters, right. And the kid was telling the truth. They've got almost nothing. Well, what about the father, the husband? There isn't any. Never was. 
See, the mother is one of those characters I was talking about, uh, the ones down by the railroad tracks. You mean a prostitute? Yeah, what's the matter? Don't they have such things up in Pasadena? Oh, those poor kids. Oh, now, of course, uh, K-I-T-O wouldn't touch that with a ten-foot pole. Well, I guess I can't read the letter on the air. Oh, of course not. That'd almost be like aiding and abetting. Uh, can I have it back? Huh? Oh, oh yeah, the letter, sure. Here. Thanks. And thanks for finding out. For as many of his 19 Christmases as Don could remember, the thrill of the day had been in what he received. And there had been a lot under those 19 Christmas trees, even through the long years of the Great Depression. But now, in his 20th year, a change was coming over him. With Jill's help, he went from one sponsor to another, showing the letter, telling the story, and asking for help. In every store, the answer was the same. Yes. Yes, we'll help you do something for those kids. Don, the manager of the market at the corner said he'd match dollar for dollar in food, everything we buy for them. Yeah, and the guy who runs a surplus store down by the station is giving us the same deal. We're going to have clothes and underwear. And what about Mr. Beeman? Arnold? What about him? Well, can't you ask him to see some of the sponsors, too? <laughs> to tell you the truth, honey, I haven't even told Arnold what I'm doing with this letter. I'm not so sure he'd like my going out and putting the bite on our sponsors. Oh, Don, here he comes now. Huh? Oh, hi, Arnold. Hi, kids. Uh, what's that load of stuff you've got there? Well, I was just down to one of our esteemed sponsors, Emporia. The department store having the sale? Yeah. Well, <laughs> look what fell off the truck. Oh, Mr. Beeman, children's clothes, toys, blankets, books. Well, I, I just happened to be passing by, and I thought I'd stop. Uh, what did all this cost you, Arnold? Nothing. Come on. Well, listen, you should have heard your old dad playing hearts and flowers. They wanted to give me more, but this is all I could squeeze into that Ford convertible. <laughs> What are we going to do with all these presents? Well, you can stash them in my office if you want to. When are you going to deliver them? Well, Christmas Eve. When else? Well, not until they're all wrapped. Oh, oh, that's what I forgot. I didn't. Now, just give me a workspace where I can do all this. Well, use the newsroom. Arnold, are you kidding? Well, just don't let Leo Cross get away with any of the presents. Well... When Don and Jill figured it all out later, they discovered they'd spent just about all their own Christmas money on presents for the needy family. But by then, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered, except that the five children have the most lavish and wonderful Christmas of their lives. So on Christmas Eve, Don and Jill loaded Don's sedan with the packages and had to make two trips to get everything piled up around the side door to the garage where the family lived. And then Don pounded on the door and dashed for his car parked across the street with the lights off. And they sped off, cackling with glee, imagining the looks on six surprised faces when they saw the mountain of gifts. And there our story would end, except for something that happened during the first week of the new year. It was a letter addressed to Uncle Don with a familiar return address. 21921st Street, but in an unfamiliar hand. After he read the letter, Don put in a long-distance call to Jill in Pasadena. Darling, how are you? I don't know. I never felt this way before. Let me read you a letter that just came in. Okay. It says, Dear Uncle Don, Susan finally told me she had written a letter to Santa and sent it to you so I know you must be the person responsible for the miracle that came to our door on Christmas Eve. The presents were perfect and so many. 
All the clothes fit perfectly, and the children loved the toys, but the great greatest gift was... Yes, Don? <clears throat> the greatest gift was that you made me realize that there is some good in the world. You have given me back my faith in people and, and my faith in God. Well, that's our story. Don and Jill did get married the following summer and have shared many Christmases since then with their own children. But none shine any brighter in their memories than that time when they were 20 and learned the true spirit of Christmas. I'll be back in a minute with the names of our players and a few scenes from next week's program. The Spirit of Christmas featured Mark Wayne as Don, Lee Posh as Jill, Paul Herlinger as Arnold Beeman, and John Amendola as Mike Pritchard. Direction by Pat French. This is your producer, Jim French, inviting you to be with us next week at this time when the Golden West Radio Network presents Crisis. <laughs>